Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. Say, I take, eyes to see, I take, ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Well, you may be seated. You may be seated. If you're newer here at Faith, we put all of my notes on the Version Bible app. So if you have the Version Bible app on your device, you can open it up and go where, under the events section. First, go to more, then events, and then you'll see my notes We're here for our message today, whereas we continue the Operation Glory series. Now, how many of you here were, were here last week? All right, so that's about 75% of you. We started the series last week, so if you weren't here, I encourage you to get the message. We put all of our messages online for free, so you can go to our website at fccga.com. You can watch it on YouTube. You can go to our podcast, catch up, because we're going to go do a quick review today, so we can go to where the Holy Ghost has for us to go. And so one of the things we do every fall, we take time to teach on faith and family, so we call it Faith and Family in the Fall. And we did a House of Faith series this fall. And so we taught on that for a couple months. But one of the things is you understand about the way the Holy Ghost moves, especially in churches. He'll bring series and seasons where you focus on you and your house. But even when he points our attention to us in our house, we must never forget our vision. We must never forget our mission. And so one of the things we did as we, after we celebrated 25 years of faith this summer, we laid out the new vision statement and mission statement for our next 25 years. And we said our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. To ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we says one of the ways we accomplish that is by doing our mission statement. And so our mission statement is what we do every single Wednesday, every single Sunday. And if we consistently and continually do this, we'll be able to fulfill our vision. And our mission statement is create an environment where anyone can experience the love of God, understand his word, and become part of a family that radically impacts our communities and the world. So if we as individuals and as a church family on mission, God can do amazing things. We're doing a series on, on midweek, and we brought it to Sunday a couple weeks ago called Preparing Your Family for 2019. And one of the things we studied in the book of Acts is that one of the things the early church did to get itself in position to receive God suddenly is they were on mission. When they're on mission or doing what God told them to do, they were in position to receive God suddenly. Say suddenly. suddenly. We talked about how we're moving into a suddenly season where God is going to do a quick work, where things look like it was this way. By the time we get to 2019, it's going to be like we turned the corner. And we said what we're doing in the last few weeks of the year is preparing ourselves to turn the corner. Amen. And so if we want to receive God suddenly as individuals, as families, as a church, we must be on mission. Say, be on mission. Because if we're on mission, we can position ourselves for God suddenly. And so one of the things is God gives different series and seasons, and one of the things this message is doing is making sure that we are on mission and we can get ready for our suddenly. Amen? Amen. We shared earlier this year, we said, Lord, the things the Lord told us is that this will be a year of fullness, a year of overflow, and a year of glory. So at the beginning of the year, we shared on fullness. Earlier this year, we shared on overflow. So we're going to continue today to talk about glory. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. The series is called Operation Glory. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. One of the things we talked about last week to set up the series is a lot of times when we talk do our Christmas series and get close to Christmas time, we just read Matthew's account and Luke's account, and it's great. But I began to think recently, what if the Apostle Paul told the Christmas story, how would he tell it? If the Apostle Paul told the Christmas story today, how would he tell it? And I began to think, well, I think he would use secret agents. Now, you guys already know I like movies and examples. And so I pictured the Apostle Paul like he was Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible from 96. How he lowered in to that secret CIA room and got that file from the computer. That room that was maintaining the temperature. He had to catch his sweat from dropping to the ground so the alarm didn't go off. Because one of the things you see in Paul's writing is a word mystery. Say mystery. You see that all throughout his writings, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So this is a common theme, a prevalent theme in the New Testament, the word mystery, which we defined last week as divine secret, plan, and purpose. So if Paul was going to tell the Christmas story, he wouldn't be able to tell without talking about mystery or secret, or as we said last week, what's in the top secret file. And so one of our text scriptures was 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 8 in the Amplified Classic Edition. And it says, yet when we are among the full grown, spiritually mature Christians who are ripe in understanding, we do impart a higher wisdom. So one of the things you're going to notice to talk more about this in the weeks to come is that this is Paul's favorite topic. One of the reasons he was growing up churches, yes, this is what God called him to do, but he was getting them to a point where he can talk to them about his favorite message. He says, I can't talk to this about everybody. I can't talk to the people sitting at the kiddie table. But the grown-ups, those who've grown up in Jesus, this is my message. The knowledge of the divine plan previously hidden. Say hidden. But it is indeed not a wisdom of this present age or of this world nor of the leaders and the rulers of this age who are being brought to nothing and are doomed to pass away. But rather we are sending forth is a wisdom of God once hidden. Say hidden. From human understanding now revealed to us by God that wisdom which God devised and decrees before the ages for our glorification to lift us into the glory of his presence. None of the rulers of this age of this world perceived and recognized and understood this. For if they had, they have never crucified the Lord of glory. So as we said, picture it this way. For millennia in the past, there was a mysterious file hidden in God. Mark, top secret. It was so well hidden that no man knew exactly what was in the file. Few caught glimpses of what surrounded the file. But this top secret mystery was hidden away from all human sight. Although it was hidden, the apostle Paul, like a secret agent, got the file. Multiple times he referred to the mystery hidden in God, that it was his calling to share. He says, one of the reasons I'm alive, one of the reasons God called me is to take what's in this top secret file and tell everybody I find what God put in this top secret file that was hidden before the world began. God hid it so well, he hid it in himself. Now, that's a good hiding place. He says, I'm going to hide it so well nobody's going to get it. No one can see it. And even though you had righteous men and women for thousands of years, they would be moved by the Holy Ghost to prophesy. And they're talking about what's around the file. They may even say something that's in the file, but they had no clue exactly what it meant. Even when Jesus walked the earth and he began to teach his disciples and his followers, he says, there's more things I want to share with you, but you're not ready for it now. But after I send the Holy Ghost, I'll tell some more about it. 
So Jesus didn't even give, anything, give everything. You think, well, Peter must have knew that secret, but he didn't. And he's the one Jesus left in charge. John, Jesus told John secrets, but John didn't even know this fully. James didn't know this fully. Even James, Jesus' little brother who became one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, didn't know this fully. But there's one man who got this information, this top secret file, the Apostle Paul. You could see, he said, in 1 Corinthians 14, when you pray in this period, when you pray in other tongues, you pray out mysteries. So one of the ways Paul got this revelation is he would spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues. He's already a man well-learned in the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures backward and forward. But he would take time to pray in the Holy Ghost. And that's how he got this top secret file. So last week, we started with Adam and Eve because we said, I don't think the Apostle Paul could start with a Christmas story talking about the angel appearing to Mary. I think he would take it all the way back to the beginning. And we looked at how Adam and Eve fell short of the glory of God and fell into the slave market of sin. We looked at why it was important that Jesus be born of a virgin and how Jesus came and opened the slave market of sin. Now everybody has the choice to walk out. We said when Adam sinned, Satan demanded that all men die. When Jesus came, died, and raised again, he demanded that all men have a choice. So he opened the door so anyone could walk out at any time. And as we saw, it says none of the Rulers knew this top secret file because if they did, they would have never messed with Jesus. They would have never crucified the Lord of glory because it, Satan would have never messed with Jesus. He knew what this top secret file could produce. He's like, I'd rather have one of you than billions. If they knew, they've never crucified the Lord of glory. And we said one of the things, as we saw in the Amplified Classic Edition, as is part of this mystery or this secret that was hid, was designed to, for our glorification. To lift us up and to the glory, say glory, glory, of his presence. One of our other scriptures we looked at last week is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for it became him Jesus for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we see the real mission behind the Christmas story is twofold, ending our review. Souls and the glory. Souls and the glory. Yes, Jesus came to get us out of the slave market of sin. He came to redeem us. He came to wash us with his blood, so that we can be pure and perfect in the sight of God our Father. But he also came to restore the glory unto us. This was always God's plan. When man sinned, they fell short of the glory of God. The glory lifted off of Adam and Eve. But Jesus came to give us the glory back. See, you can even call the Bible the story of the glory. The glory is all throughout the Old and the New Testament. It is filled with references to the glory of God. In the New Testament alone, in Ephesians 1.17, God is called the Father of glory. In Acts and Psalms, he is called the God of glory. In Psalms, he's called the King of glory. In 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of glory. Here in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is called the Lord of glory. So one of the people on the Apostles Paul, Apostles Paul team was Luke. He was a doctor who God anointed and called and we know Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke as well as the book of Acts. And so part of 
Paul's team is now a historian who is writing. So just imagine with me if Luke and Paul were sitting around in a group and Luke saw out, because Luke wasn't there when all this happened. He wasn't one of Jesus' early followers. So he had to go investigate. He had to go interview. One of the people he interviewed was the Mother Mary. Think about if this was your assignment for God. I want you to go interview the Virgin Mary. And so he did. That's how you know you read the early chapters of Luke, and he says what Mary was thinking in her heart. What Mary said, why? He interviewed her. So imagine if Luke was telling Paul what he heard in the interview. So go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. That's all the time we're going to spend in review. I encourage you to listen to that message that we have online, on YouTube, as well as on our podcast. Luke chapter 2. So imagine if Luke was sharing with Paul. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the what? The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Now, I'm sure when Luke was saying, yeah, here's what the shepherds said. I got to talk to some shepherds. And they said all of a sudden they were just minding their own business. They were taking care of the sheep. There were some lambs running around, and they were just chilling in the nice weather. And all of a sudden, it was filled with light. They said it was the glory of God filled the night sky. They couldn't even tell it was night anymore. How bright was that glory? And I'm sure Luke is telling Paul these details, and Paul said, I've seen that glory. I've seen it. What would he, how, when did Paul see the glory? Acts chapter 9, verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined a sign round about him, a light from heaven. Paul describes in Acts chapter 22, says, and it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And when I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. He describes it again in chapter 26, verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. Above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. So think about how bright the noonday sun is. Paul is in the Middle East at high noon. The sun is bright. But here comes a light that makes the sun look like a 10-watt bulb. A glory so strong, it makes the sun pale in comparison. So Paul begins to think about When the shepherds saw the glory, I saw the glory too. See, one of the things we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus, the Lord of glory, made flesh. Jesus, the Lord of glory, made flesh. Go to John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, people, you know, there's some super religious people, uber, uber religious people that like fight about everything. Paul wrote about them, says don't get in arguments with them. 
But, you know, they say, well, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's a pagan holiday. How many of you hear people, like, debate on Facebook about that? And so, well, let's do a quick thing as you guys turn to John chapter 1. So let's say it was a pagan holiday, that the church said, well, we're going to celebrate Jesus on this day. Well, does men have that right to call holiday? Yes, they do. Well, do we have that in the Scripture in the Old Testament? You see in the book of Esther how they call it a holiday to honor God for his deliverance. And if they could do that in the book of Esther, we could do it today to honor our deliverance when Jesus came, right? But that's not the only reason. That's something if we want to think about in today's mindset. But when he began to study from the early church fathers and the ancient church history, you'll see that there are some why they picked December 25th as the day, because Jesus was not born December 25th. He was born in September, fulfilling the Jewish holiday and Moed on that date. Well, why do we pick December 25th? When he starts studying out history, most early church fathers believe that December 25th is the day Gabriel appeared to Mary. And when Mary decided, he said, be it unto me according to your word, she, by faith, received the power of the highest and conceived Jesus. So December 25th marks the day the word became flesh. So whether you want to say, well, we chose a holiday to worship Jesus, or he said, this is the day we celebrate, we put the whole story together, the day Jesus was made flesh and then he was born, either way, don't let Super uber religious people rain on your Christmas parade. Merry Christmas, have fun, enjoy it, live it to the fullest. Because John 1.14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Notice what John said about the word made flesh dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go to John chapter 2 verse 11. So John, who was one of Jesus' inner three, describes his three years with them as beholding the glory. John chapter 2, verse 11 says, after when Jesus turned water into wine, it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his what? And his disciples believed on him. This word miracles, a lot of times we see miracle or miracles in the New Testament. We think about the word dunamis, which is explosive, mighty act of power. But that's not what that word is here in the Greek. This word for miracles means a sign, an amazing or unusual thing, an exceptional or wonderful thing that transcends the common course of nature. This word is used to describe miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove that the case they are pleading is God's. Notice that these miracles were the result of Jesus manifesting his glory. These signs, these wonderful, amazing things were the result of Jesus manifesting his glory. So let's go back to Luke. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. We briefly mentioned this last week, talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And it came to pass, about eight days after these things, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, 
and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they awake, they saw his glory. And the two men which stood with him. Matthew 17, 2 says it this way, and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. In this passage, we see Jesus glorified. The gospel show, you keep reading these chapters, the gospel show that the glory cloud that covered the mountain was the glory of the Father. But the glory that shined on the mountain was the glory of Jesus. Now, the mountain was already full of glory with Jesus there. It was so strong, it knocked out Peter, James, and John when they came to, you know, Peter didn't know what to say. Now, how many of you know what would know what to say at that moment? If all of a sudden you were walking with Jesus, and then his clothes turned stark white, his clothes began to shine, his face are shining as the sun, and you're so overwhelmed by the power of that glory, you fall out. And you come in too, you know, James and John didn't know what to say. So Peter says, uh, well, well, ooh, that's Elijah and Moses. How does even Peter know who it was? See, his spirit knows things, your mind doesn't. He says, man, that's Moses. I remember reading about him. That's Elijah. I remember reading about him. He's with Jesus and all shiny. He says, well, uh, it's good for us to be here. We can build a tent, a house, a tabernacle for each one of you. Peter's just talking. He doesn't know what to say. But as he's talking, as he's prone to do, the glory cloud covers the mount. And it says Peter, James, and John began to shake as that cloud fills the mount. They thought it was one thing. With Jesus shining like the noonday sun. And Moses and Elijah appear, but now the Father's glory covers them out. And his voice comes out of the clouds. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, we see the two difference of the glory, right? Now, go to John chapter 11, verse 39. Remember, John described his three years with Jesus as beholding his glory. And I'm sure none of this was lost on the Apostle Paul. I haven't forgot about Paul. We're getting back to him. John chapter 11, verse 39. We know there's a story right before the Lazarus was raised from the dead. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, says, Lord, by this time he stinks. He's been dead four days. She's thinking in her mind, Jesus is going to mourn. But Jesus said unto her, said I not unto you that if you would believe, you should see the what? So this was a previous conversation Jesus and Martha had. Now one of the things said about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they were friends of Jesus. Jesus actually had friends he hung out with. These were the friends of Jesus. And so one of their conversations, one of the times he was at the house, one of the times they're spending together, he told Martha, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. So somehow this came up in conversation. And so Martha and Mary decided to believe, and their brother is raised from the dead. What raised Lazarus from the dead? The glory of God. The glory of God manifested raised Lazarus from the dead. So we see in the life of Jesus that there were miracles, signs, and wonders that he performed that were manifestations of the glory of God. John described his time with him as beholding his glory. But let's look at what Jesus prayed in John 17. Go to John chapter 17, verse 20. This was all in the top secret file that Paul got out. John chapter 17, verse 20. Notice what Jesus prays. And neither I pray for these alone, 
those 11 that were with him. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's all of us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in thee. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory that you gave me, I have given to them. You are the them. So all this glory we've seen in the Gospels that Jesus got from the Father, the King of glory, the Father of glory, the God of glory, the one who appeared on the mountain Exodus and Moses began to shake because it was so such a sight. The same God who filled Solomon's temple and the tabernacle with glory that the priest couldn't even go in anymore. That same God gave Jesus glory. And Jesus said, I've given it to them, not just to my 11 disciples, but those that believe on their word. Does anyone have believed on those words? He's not saying, I will give them glory when they get to heaven. I've given it to them. Say, it's already done. done. That same glory that was on the mount, that same glory that did all these miracles, Jesus gave it to you. I and them and thou and me that you may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as you have loved me. The Father gave Jesus glory, and Jesus gave that glory to us. The Apostle Paul shares that this was in the top secret file. So go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. I told you I didn't forget about Paul. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus gave us his glory. Now Jesus will give us his glory in the sweet by and by. When we get to heaven, we'll finally get some glory from Jesus. No, it's already done. If you've received Jesus, you've received the glory. This was the top secret file. Notice what Paul says, whereof I am made a minister. Colossians 1 verse 25. According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26. Even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory, the abundance of the glory of this mystery, of this secret among the Gentiles. What is the secret? What is the top secret of the abundance of the glory? Christ in you, the hope, the confident expectation of glory. Colossians 1.27, the New Living Translation says it this way. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Part of the top secret file. The Lord of glory would move into the Christian, giving them the confident expectation of more glory. Hope always points to the future. So when you were saved, the Lord of glory moved on the inside of you and brought glory with you. But he also brought the hope of the glory, which means it's a confident expectation that you can get more glory. That what you have now is not it. That you can always get more. Say more. You can always increase. Say increase. Say, there's more glory for me. So I think about how Paul might have calmed down a little bit. He might have had a Kanye moment where he interrupted Luke telling the services, I know this is really good, but let me tell you what the glory did for me. So now Luke, okay, continue, continue, continue. So go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Luke chapter 2, verse 10.
And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill towards men. God's will towards men is good. God's will towards you is good. God doesn't think bad thoughts about you. God doesn't think evil thoughts about you. He knows the plan that he has for you, and it is good, and it's to give you an expected end. God's will towards you is good. That's why you can wake up every single day and say, something good is going to happen to me today, because God's will towards you is good. But notice also what he says, peace. There's nothing about peace on earth, peace between men. That's nice. He's saying it's peace between God and men. God's not at war with you. Thank God. And so I'm sure, as Luke said, the angel said, peace between God and men. And Paul said, oh, let me tell you what that peace did for you. Go to Romans chapter 5. God's will towards men is good. The angels proclaimed that there was peace between God and men. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. God's will towards you is good. Paul wrote about peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. Therefore being declared righteous by faith. Therefore being declared not guilty by faith. Therefore being declared right with God by faith. Not because you did everything right, but because you believed in Jesus who did everything right. Because you believe, God said, you're all right. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. And rejoice. And rejoice. And the confident expectation of the what? He says, because we have peace with God, because we're justified by faith, because we have access by faith unto the grace wherein we stand. Paul says, this is what I rejoice for. This is what I shout about. This is what I want to celebrate. Say, if you want to dance when you come to church, this is why you dance. This is why you pick them up and put them down. This is why you run. And confident expectation of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory. This word glory here is rejoice too. So it's that I'm rejoicing in confident expectation of the glory of God. But I also rejoice in tribulation or in pressure. Say pressure. pressure. This is a tight circumstance. So he says, yes, I rejoice in expectation of the glory of God, but I also rejoice in tight circumstances. I rejoice in pressure. Paul, why do you rejoice in pressure? Knowing that pressure works patience. Now, don't just say, well, pressure works patience without saying he rejoices in pressure. So this lets you know the correct attitude and disposition towards pressure produces patience. But if you're whining and complaining, say nobody knows the trouble I've seen, pay pressure is not producing patience in you, it's producing whining and complaining and murmuring. But if you have the right disposition towards it, the right attitude, 
the right perspective. And he says, even in pressure, I'm going to give God glory because I expect the glory of God. It will produce patience in you, which is translated as cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. Not just endurance, there's some cheerful to it. Well, I'm going through, Pastor. Well, we all can see that. (laughs) Some cheerful endurance. And cheerful endurance produces experience. And experience, hope, confident expectation. Because once God delivers you, he's like, well, if he did it once, he can do it again. You got some experience under your belt. It's like, oh, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to sweat this. God delivered me once, he'll do it again. It produces a confident expectation no matter what battle you get into, whether it's bigger or smaller. See, David had this too. He took down the lion. He took down the bear. Those are some pressure-filled situations. A lion come and take your sheep. That's some pressure. Some people are like, oh, well, the lion had a good meal today. <laughs> oh, I guess hope he enjoyed his happy meal. David chased down the lion. Chased down the bear, took the sheep, the lamb, out of the animal's mouth and killed it. That's a pressure-filled situation. But by the time he got to Goliath, he told King Saul, look, that big dude is going to fall just like the lion and the bear. The same God who delivered them into my hand will deliver that big boy into my hand too. Why? He had some experience under his belt. So now he had a confident expectation that that boy was going to fall. You have to respond right to pressure so you can get some cheerful endurance, so you can get some experience, so you can get some confident expectation. And our hope, our confident expectation makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given unto us. So we rejoice in confident expectation of the glory of God. We also rejoice in pressure and tribulations. The right response to pressure, rejoicing in the midst of it, produces cheerful endurance Cheerful endurance produces experience, and experience produces confident expectation. Our confident expectation will not leave us ashamed. You having confident expectation in God, which is biblically rooted, will not leave you on the shame shell. God always comes through. The Heavenly Father always shows up. So now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. See, glory was on the mind of Paul. You see it all the way through his writings because it was in the top secret five. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, start with verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why does Satan blind people's eyes? Lest the light of the glorious gospel, notice he calls the gospel the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God should shine unto them. Once again, remember, Satan's coming after the glory. Remember, he went into the garden. Comes to kill, stone, destroy. But in the garden, you're thinking about, well, what happened? Adam and Eve lost the glory. He doesn't want people to see the glory. He wants to keep them away from the glory. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And the face of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons God shined in our heart was to give us the intimate knowing of the glory. Because he put the glory in us. But we have this treasure. What is the treasure? The glory of God. And earthen vessels in our bodies. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Notice Paul's attitude. You couldn't stop this guy. They literally stoned him and left him from dead. He probably died. But he says, I got to go preach tomorrow and got back up again. This dude was not going to be stopped by pressure brought by people or pressure brought by circumstances. It's always bearing about the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For which we live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith. Notice, this spirit of faith is working in the midst of pressure, in the midst of tight situations, in the midst of tight circumstances. What does the spirit of faith do? According as it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. The spirit of faith will cause you to speak big words of faith in the middle of a storm. It'll cause you to speak the word of God when it looks impossible. I like what Mark Hankins says is the spirit of faith that will cause a tadpole to slap a whale. It's the spirit of faith that calls you to grab a corn stalk, he said, and swing over hell and spin in the devil's eye. The spirit of faith makes you do crazy things because you know your God is faithful and it'll come to pass for you. Notice with the spirit of faith, believing and speaking, knowing that he which raised up Jesus, the Lord Jesus, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause? This is the reason we don't quit. This is the reason we don't faint. This is the reason we don't give up. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, look, if he can call being shipwrecked, having mobs turn on him multiple times, being in the middle of riots, being stoned, being beaten, being whipped, light affliction, we call everything we go through light. Why does he call it light? It's temporary. And it works for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of what? He says the glory is weightier than the trouble I'm going through. Because remember, he said, I rejoice in expectation of the glory. So he expects the glory to show up in a situation. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Your trouble is temporary. If you can see it, it's temporary. If you can see it, it's subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul calls his affliction, trouble, and pressure lightweight in comparison to the weightiness of the glory of God that is going to be revealed to them. Come on, guys. So remember, we're calling this message the agency. Last week, we saw how we handed off the top secret file. And so we have one of our agents here. Now, see, if Paul was training agents, it wouldn't be, it's okay. You'll figure this out on your own, especially if you got spiritually grown. I think his training would be kind of intense. But see, after a while, he's going to get tired. Now, if you've ever been to a Christian school, a Christian gym, Please don't hurt our brother. <laughs> you know, sometimes they put on the wall, this for motivation, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, that's a great verse to stand on, but I don't believe that would be the verse of the agency to motivate them. 
I think it would be 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Paul wasn't willing to give up when pressure came. He was focused on the top secret file. He was focused on the glory being revealed to him. Remember, one of the reasons Satan came into the garden was to rob man of the glory. His motives have not changed. There's some things you go through, and it's not about you personally, so don't take it personal. It's Satan coming from the glory that's on the inside of you. So there's some pressure and some circumstances that comes to stop you, but you can't give up. Just think that everything you're going through, I'm training for my next level. Come on, I'm training for the next level. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep moving. Do it for the glory. Do it for the glory. I'm going for the glory. I'm going for the glory. I'm not giving up. Do it for the glory. Do it for the glory. Take that persecution. Take that affliction. I'm not giving up depression. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going for the glory of God. I'm doing it for the glory of God. I will see the glory. So I rejoice in tribulation. I rejoice in pressure because I will win and I will see the glory of God in the land of the living. Thank you, guys. So don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't quit. Do it for the glory. Refuse to violate the law of love. It's like, nope, I'm not going to snap back. I'm not going to clap back because I want the glory. I forgive everybody of everything because I want the glory. I'm not going to quit because I want the glory. I'm not going to give up on my dreams because I want the glory. I'm not backing away. I'm going to keep pressing forward because I want the glory. Paul says, I press toward the mark of the high calling. I'm pressing towards the glory. I'm going forward. I'm pushing. I'm pushing. I'm pushing. You can't hold me back. I can't stop. I want the glory of God. You have to have that same motivation. Do it for the glory. Do it for the glory of God. Everything you do for the glory of God. Christ in you. The confident expectation of glory. He put glory in you. You keep going floor, more will produce. We'll like it more next time. How you can get more. Because we're supposed to go from degree glory to glory. We're supposed to increase in the glory of God. But some of you are like, well, pastor. In your very religious voice. In your very educated tone. But didn't the scripture say God? Will not share his glory with anybody or with another. Go to Isaiah 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, verse 8. Let's bring this to a close. But I know I heard that somewhere. I know I heard someone preach that somewhere. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 42, verse 8. As you turn there, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. 
and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to grave energy. See, the scripture clearly says, he will not give his glory to another. But he didn't. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. See, even this is in the top secret file. Come on, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Come on, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. God didn't give his glory to another. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Is it up there? But he that is joined unto the Lord is what? He didn't give his glory to another. He made you part of him. He made you one with him. And so he gave his glory not to another but to you who is part of him. So you say, yes, God doesn't give his glory to another, but I'm not another. I'm one with Christ. I'm one in him. I'm one with Jesus. I'm one with my father. I'm in union with him, and he gave me his glory. That is in the top secret file. See, a lot of times we teach Christ lives in us, and we picture Jesus inside of us for teaching purposes. But if it's not your spirit on the inside and Jesus playing Uno together in the holidays, no, that's not what it looks like. There's not two of you on the inside. There's one glorified being. Oh, one with Jesus of Nazareth, that would be nice, but it's the resurrected, glorified Christ who's been glorified with all the glory that there is. That's who you're one with on the inside. You're more one with God right now than you even realized. Because once you were born again, it happened. One with Jesus. Your mind doesn't know it, but your spirit is a real reality. See, that's why, because you're one with Jesus, that's why it says flee sexual immorality. Because every sin that a man does is without the Bible. He that commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What? Don't you know this? That your body is the temple, say temple, of the Holy Ghost who is in you, who you have of God. You're not your own, for you are bought with a price. You are redeemed. We talked about that last week. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. God shared his glory with those he made one with himself. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of God. What does God do with his tabernacles? What does God do with his temples? He puts glory in them. Exodus 29, verse 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, so that the glory of God, the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God, the temple of God. What does God do with his temples? He puts glory in them. So why would you as the temple of God today be any different? If in the Old Testament, where there's a shadow and figure of things to come, if God put his glory in those temples, you better know that under a better covenant, based on better promises, he put some glory on the inside of you. And he put hope in you so that you can get more glory. He shared his glory with you. Because you're one with him. And there's glory on the inside of you right now. 
I will one day I'll get some glory. You have it right now. You have it on your worst days. On your days you don't feel saved. Anybody have those days? On those days you don't feel anointed. Anybody have those days? You got glory. On your best days and on your worst days, remember, you got glory. So we rejoice and come with expectation that the glory is going to show up. That we believe we're going to see the goodness of God, the glory of God in the land of living. That's why we don't quit. We do it all for the glory. Go to Ephesians 5.27. We're close here. Ephesians 5.27. Come on, music department. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. We do it all for the glory. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. So that he, Jesus, might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, for that it should be holy without blemish. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church church. That word glory simply means in glory. A church that's operating in the glory of God. Jesus wants a church where everyone is operating in the glory of God, not just some special spiritual people. Not just the apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. He wants everybody operating in the glory of God because that's what his blood purchased. We are agents of his glory. We are to be a glorious agency. We have to be on mission. For our mission is the same as the mission behind the Christmas story. We must do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. And we must be those who operate in the glory of God. So because we have the glory, let's ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Stand to your feet. See, we're going to be a glorious agency. You have the glory on the inside of you. It's not just me. It's not just the prayer warriors. It's everybody who believes on the name of Jesus. When he believed on Jesus, the glory of God moved on the inside of you. So that's one of the reasons we sing, there's an army rising up to break every chain. You have glory in you. You're called to be a glorious agency. So walk in the glory. Operate in the glory. So let's sing that. I want you to sing this knowing that you are the glorious army of God. That you are the army that's rising up to break every chain. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. Yeah. Break every chain.
because we're the glorious agency, the army that's rising up, I want you to hear prophetically what's going to happen throughout the state. I want you to hear prophetically what's going to happen all throughout Austell, all throughout Metro Atlanta, all throughout on the south side in Fayetteville and Peachtree City. What's going to happen in Macon? What's going to happen in South Georgia? What's going to happen in North Georgia? What's going to happen in Chattanooga? What's going to happen in Asheville? What's going to happen all around this region? There are going to be, I want you to hear prophetically today the chains that are falling in our region because we're going to rise up and do our part. Can anyone hear the chains falling? Can anyone hear the chains falling with me? Come on, hear it with me. I hear the chains. settle for anything short of that it's like pastor that's a big vision we serve a big God a God who specializes in the impossible and one who's coming back again so we have work we must do so we must be on mission for our mission is the same mission behind the Christmas story to win as many people to Jesus as possible and to operate in the glory of God it's not going to be either or with us. It's going to be both. We don't have to pick and choose. We'll rather we get a lot of people saved or have the glory. We will have both. Because that's what Jesus died for. That's what he was raised for. So lift your hands and say, Father, use me. Use me for your glory. Let me be overflowing with your glory. So you can work through me and reach the lost, to set the captive free, to raise people up in the Word of God. I hope you enjoyed today's message. 
We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.